Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The Lord said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for one, he was afraid to look at God. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, y'all. My name is Rich, and I am a member here at Urban Village, and I'm a campus pastor at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Shout out to some students from UIC who are here today. So if you see some folks who look like students, say hello, because they're awesome. <laughs> uh, I would make you raise your hands, but I don't want to do that. Um, so uh, I'm excited to, to preach here today. I preach from time to time, and it's a joy uh, to be with y'all. Thanks once again, Kyle, um, for your testimony. Words do matter. Uh, they matter a lot. So thanks for not only speaking to that truth, but also sharing about how that truth has formed and shaped your life um, through the Spirit of God and through Violet. <laughs> um, so uh, I preach here from time to time, and they always, we always do sermon series here, right? And uh, the staff creates this document and sends it out and tells us what the text is going to be and what the theme is going to be. And if I'm honest, when I got this sermon content and sermon theme, I wasn't very happy about it. And there are two reasons why, mostly two reasons. The first is that uh, the name of the series, can we get that slide up? This is the name of the series, um, uh, Getting Vulnerable with God. And I uh, was frustrated because I can't say that first word the way that all of you say it. So I'm from the South, and the way that we say that word is different than the way most of you say that word. So I'm just going to get it out of the way right here, right now. Every time I say it, they're snickering. So here we go. All right, you say naked, right? Is that right? All right, I say naked. It's like, it's like N-E-K-K-I-D. Uh, the sad thing is I had no idea, literally no idea that I said it a different way until like last year and I was giving a sermon and I said that word a few times and then everyone's like laughing and I was like, what's up? And they're like, that's, what word do you say? <laughs> so uh, that's the first thing I didn't like. The second thing and perhaps uh, the more critical thing that I didn't like was I'm not sure that I'm a fan of the content of the sermon series. And so I get it. Uh, vulnerability is in right now. Brene Brown is hot right now. Everyone's talking about her. You know, we watch the TED Talks. I watch them. We read the books. There's a small group going on downstairs at this very moment about a Brene Brown book. So this church loves Brene Brown, and I do personally. And so if you want to have this like lofty conversation about the concept of vulnerability over a few glasses of wine, like bring it on. Let's have it. Let's talk about vulnerability as an idea. That's easy. But when it gets hard is when vulnerability is not only an idea, but when we have to be vulnerable with ourselves and with one another and with God. To be honest with you, that scares the hell out of me. So talking about vulnerability, oh, I can't even say the word. Talking about it, sure. Being vulnerable is much more difficult. And yet, in the times, in the experiences, in the moments when I have practiced vulnerability, I felt an immense freedom. 
that it brings. And so it's been my prayer for myself and for all of us that as we journey through this sermon series together about getting vulnerable, that we allow God to shift us and move us, maybe gradually, from people who think about vulnerability to people who live vulnerably. And this morning, we're going to spend some time in the story of Moses, and I'm going to share a little bit about my story with um, this concept, vulnerability, and then we'll um, talk about um, all of our stories together. So as we begin, will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks uh, for this morning, uh, for the beautiful people in this room, for the community that you've created here. And now in these moments, may we all be hyper aware of your presence among us. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Exodus. And Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And uh, the passage that Zinnia read today is uh, part of the saga of Moses, one of the most famous Bible characters, especially in the Old Testament, if not altogether. And this story is about Moses walking around one day, tending his sheep, when uh, all of a sudden he's walking and he realizes that a bush nearby is on fire. But it's not burning up. Flame, it's engulfed in flames, but it's not withering. And so Moses thinks to himself, this is kind of weird, and it is. And Moses says, I I need to get a little bit closer. His curiosity gets him, and and he gets a little closer to it. And as he gets closer, he hears God call out to him from the bush. Things are getting real weird now. Moses, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place you're standing on is holy ground. I am the God of all your ancestors, your father and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And after Moses hears God's voice, Moses hides his face. But God keeps talking to Moses. And God tells Moses that God has seen the plight, the oppression, the misery of the Hebrew people enslaved in Egypt. And God knows their suffering, and God wants to bring them to a new place, a promised land, a place full of freedom and flourishing. And God is choosing Moses to lead them out of bondage and into liberation. But Moses asks, who am I? Why me? Why are you choosing me to do this? And God answers, I'll be with you. But Moses has another question. Who am I supposed to say sent me? I don't even know your name. What's your name? And God responds, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. I'm sure that made things crystal clear for Moses. And so this story continues with God inviting Moses to do the work he's been created to do, to lead people out of slavery and into freedom. And Moses resists. But God is convincing and God is inspiring and Moses finally accepts. And the book of Exodus goes on to tell the story of Moses helping the people, the Hebrew people, leave Egypt, escape Egypt, and go on the long journey towards freedom. This episode in the life of Moses is told a lot, right? It's a pretty popular Bible story. And it's this episode where Moses uh, is, is walking around, sees a burning bush, takes off his sandals, talks to God, And it's often told as a story of resisting a call to lead and then finally accepting a call to lead. And so Moses uh, hears God from a burning bush. Moses resists before finally accepting the call. And the message usually is, God is calling you to lead. Quit resisting and do it. And I don't think that's a bad message. And I don't think it's an improper reading of the text. But I do wonder, is there something below the surface of this text 
that if we look at it long enough and intently enough, we can see some other things. We can see that this passage has more layers and texture to it than a surface level reading, which is often true with the Bible. So let's look at the broader context of Moses in order to gain some new insights. Moses was a Hebrew baby boy born in a time when it was not good at all to be Hebrew. Because the Hebrew people or the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptian empire. And so the Egyptians hated the Israelites, and so they made them work all day long. They forced them into labor and made them toil for long hours every day of their lives. But in this context, the leader of the Egyptians, Pharaoh, began to get nervous. And he was nervous because the Hebrew people were having lots of, of children. And as the population surged, he wondered, will these people try to uh, create a revolt? And so he was anxious about this potential revolt and revolution. And so what he did was initiate genocide. And so he said, every Hebrew baby boy born will be tossed into the Nile River and drowned. And this is the, uh, the program he set up to protect himself. This kind of awful context for childbirth reminds me of an interview that I heard um, from a black woman in Ferguson, Missouri, after the killing of Michael Brown. And she said, I no longer want to have children. Who would want to raise children, especially a young man, in this kind of world? And the Hebrew people were living in a similar context. And yet in the middle of this uh, genocidal, oppressive environment and time, a young Hebrew woman did give birth to a baby boy. And usually birth is a cause for celebration, right? We're excited and throw parties, and this is great. But in, under these circumstances, birth was a catalyst for fear. But this woman, she was cunning and smart enough to keep her baby boy, Moses, safe for about three months. And so she kept him safe and away from Pharaoh's bloody hands. But then after a while, it got too hard. It got too difficult. She didn't know if she could do it any longer. And so she created a different plan. So she crafted this basket, this reed basket, and then put pitch on it to, to keep it from leaking, put Moses into it, and then put him in the reeds in a nearby river. Mo, Pharaoh wanted to use the river to kill Moses. Moses' mother uses the river for redemptive purposes, uses the river to try and save Moses' life. You may know the story. Pharaoh's daughter goes to the water's edge and discovers the basket and, and picks up Moses and decides to adopt him. And then she sends some of her folks out to go find a, a woman to nurse Moses, and they find Moses' mother. And Moses' mother adopt, uh, nurses him and helps him grow up a little bit, and then she's made to hand Moses over to Pharaoh's daughter. And with Pharaoh's daughter is prepared to raise Moses in the Egyptian way of life, in the Egyptian system, right? And so Moses will no longer need a Hebrew identity. He's now the prince of Egypt and he'll be fully assimilated into the Egyptian system. The first thing that Pharaoh's daughter does is to give Moses an Egyptian name. Sound familiar? The same thing happened with slaves in this country. Brutally taken from their home, they were given new unwanted names by oppressors. So the forced assimilation process begins. So in order to be a good part, a good upstanding member of the royal family, the Hebrew culture was left out. He learned Egyptian norms and Egyptian values, and he became Egyptian. And in the process, he was told to leave out his Hebrew identity. And he was given all these scripts about what it meant to be Hebrew, these, these false, false scripts 
about what it meant to be Hebrew and thus who he was. The script was Hebrew is bad. Egyptian is good. And Moses was forced to live out of this script. This is what dominant systems do, right? Dominant systems hand us false scripts or false narratives about who we are and how we should live. And these dominant systems try their damnedest to force us into boxes and patterns that they dictate to us. But Moses' identity is not so easily erased. The script he was handed and that was put on repeat by his professors, by his professors, by his oppressors, was not the only narrative he heard. Because somewhere inside there was a different voice speaking, a voice that said something else. And he knew that he wasn't able to live out of his full self. He wasn't able to be who he was created to be in this time. And so there was a part of him, his Hebrew identity, that wasn't allowed to breathe. He was aware of it and he knew he was there, but the, the circumstances forced him to suppress that part of who he was. But as he grows up in the Egyptian empire, uh, he begins to notice more and more the Hebrew people around him and how they had been enslaved. And so he watches as they're forced and toil under brutal conditions all the time. And the Bible says that Moses, when he looks at these people, the word in the text is, Moses views them and calls them his kinfolk. So he looks at the people being oppressed out of the Egyptian palace, and he says, those people are my kinfolk. And one day, as he's looking outside of his bedroom window, and he sees an Egyptian mercilessly beating one of his kinfolk. And he can't take it anymore. He's overwhelmed by it, and he has to go outside. And he goes outside, and he kills the Egyptian. And then Pharaoh demands his head. So Moses, at this point, is forced into exile, and he goes to the land of Midian. And there, a Midianite family led by a man named Jethro finds him, and they immediately label him an Egyptian. And yet Moses knew that he was coming from Egypt, but that he was Hebrew. But he was not yet ready to fully claim his true self. Because that script that he was taught when he was a boy, Hebrew equals bad, Egyptian equals good, that script didn't get stopped. That script is still on repeat. That script uh, is still dictating his life. That script keeps him, keeps him from being his full self with his new community. That script makes him deny and suppress his Hebrew identity. He can't be vulnerable yet about who he was. So this is where our story picks up today. Fast forward 40 years in Midian. He's now become a member of this family. He's married into it. And Moses is a Hebrew man who has been forced to live his entire life posing as an Egyptian through and through. He was made to follow Egyptian rules and laws and customs. And up until this point, he lived his whole life without being fully himself. Unable to be honest with himself or others, he must have felt trapped and cramped into a box that was mislabeled. And then he's walking around with his sheep by a mountain. And he sees the burning bush. And he walks over. He takes off his shoes. He removes the barrier between himself and the soil, and he lets his feet sink deeply into holy ground. And he hears the voice of God calling out to him. He hears the voice of God naming his ethnic heritage. I am the God of all of your ancestors, of your father, and of Abraham, and of Isaac, 
and of Jacob. In this, God reveals that God knows and loves Moses fully as a Hebrew man. And perhaps Moses felt more known and more exposed than ever before. Because when this happens, Moses covers his face. Paul Ortiz preached last week about how we cover our face whenever we are exposed or feel vulnerable. When we cry, we cover our face. When we're exposed or naked, we cover ourselves. When we feel vulnerable, it's what we do. It's our reaction. And so God names Moses' full identity, immediate reaction, here. In this encounter, Moses becomes exposed fully in front of God Almighty. And in this moment of vulnerability, God reveals that God knows and loves fully Moses. And God gives him the task, this grand task, this risky task of freeing the people, of of releasing them from the Egyptian empire, the powerful Egyptian empire. Because of this strange encounter with God, that old script that was handed to Moses begins to fade. And Moses is given a new script. Moses is given a new narrative. Be who you are, Moses. Be your full self, Moses. Be the person I've created you to be. And that Moses, after this encounter, no longer needs to suppress his full identity. It's scary as hell to stop the suppression, but it is also liberating. And God charges him with being the leader of the Hebrew Lives Matter movement. And God promises him that God will be with him. Y'all, in movies and things like that, this, this episode, this story, gets made kind of cutesy. It's like a cartoon, oh, that's precious, Moses sees the fire, and... It's that kind of thing. It's put into paintings and made into cartoons. But this is not some cute, sentimental encounter, right? Moses feels more exposed than he ever has. He hides his face. He is charged with doing something he never imagined. And sure, he gets to live into his full identity now. But first, this experience hurts. He was living this simple life. Shepherd and Midian. And all of a sudden, after this encounter with God... He is told to go and free the Hebrew people from the powerful, ruthless Egyptian empire. His experience with God leads him to new, risky places. As one of my favorite authors and teachers writes, Richard Rohrer writes, authentic experiences with God often burn us before they free us. Experiences with God often burn us before they free us. God experiences are often too much for us to handle before we experience liberation. So I begin this sermon by telling you all that vulnerability scares me. And that is the truth. Sometimes preachers do this thing where they're like, oh, I want to be more relatable. I'll say, like, this thing really does affect me. No, it's not one of those, like, ploys. This is the real truth, that vulnerability scares me to death. And so most of you know that uh, last summer that I came out as gay. And if you didn't know yet, surprise, <laughs> uh, my fear of vulnerability was especially loud around my sexuality because those false scripts played and played and played. Straight is good, gay is bad. You have your own scripts. And this was especially true in Christian circles, unfortunately, and maybe even especially more true for pastors. So growing up in Mississippi and in a more conservative church, those scripts were so loud and I had internalized them. And they were on constant repeat. They were so loud and repetitive that my uh, suppression skills were on point. 
And I pushed all that stuff so far down that he was, he was even out of my reach at times. But by uh, last summer and even a bit before, my lack of coming out wasn't uh, an intellectual problem. It wasn't a theological problem. I preached and held an inclusive theology. And thankfully, uh, I also didn't have a vocational or a community problem. I pastored at Urban Village. I, most of my communities are full of inclusive people. So if it, if it wasn't that, it wasn't those things that was keeping me from coming out, what was it? There was something else keeping me from being my full self. And in a frank conversation, one of my best friends, one of the only people who knew um, I was gay at the time, said to me this, the reason that you aren't out is that you're afraid to be exposed. You're scared to be completely vulnerable. And he was right. My primary reason for not coming out was a deep, deep fear of vulnerability. And I had, not been, I had not felt able to be fully myself, fully vulnerable with myself internally or with others or with God. I was scared to death. But y'all, if I was going to overcome that fear, I needed God to do something new in me. I needed God to move in powerful ways and shift things significantly in my life because I had tried thinking my way through it. I had tried pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, and guess what? Those things don't work. I needed something deeper and more powerful to happen. So I was sitting in a worship service one evening uh, in a different place. Sometimes I go to Sunday night contemplative services. And uh, the pastor was walking us through a prayer exercise. And the pastor invited us all to imagine our lives as a big house. And inside our houses, there are all sorts of rooms. And so the pastor said, fling open wide the front door and invite God to enter into your house. And invite God in and let God explore every single room and closet and cupboard and nook and cranny. Let God go everywhere. And I sat there frozen. Oh, I was letting God in lots of places and I was flinging open doors all over the place to distract God from one door that I did not want God to enter into. So all those other doors I unlocked freely, but there was one that I put about 15 locks and an armed guard at the door. I didn't want God getting in there. But in that moment, I began to pray. God, help me open the door. And I knew it wasn't going to be an immediate thing. I knew it was going to take some time, but I prayed, God, help me open the door. And I longed to experience the freedom that I knew I would, I would have if I let God see my full self, if I begin to be more vulnerable with myself and with others. I longed for that freedom. And so for months after that experience, I sat in my bedroom and extended prayer and silence. And as a prayer to God, I would repeat these words over and over again. Freedom. 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 And I hoped and I longed that those words would become more than a mantra for me, but that it would sink down into my depths. And slowly they started to. And I'll never forget one day when I had an experience that I was sitting in my room praying that prayer, freedom, freedom, freedom. When all of a sudden, mysteriously, I felt a weight lifted off my shoulders and I felt a lightness like I never felt before. And God saying to me, going to be okay. I fully love and know all of you. It's the most mysterious thing that's ever happened to me in my life, perhaps, and I'll never forget that moment.
True to Richard Rohr's comment, though, God experiences like this one arrived with a burn, too. Because I knew that it was time to come out more publicly, and I knew that that would be scary and hard. And it has been. It still is. When I first started coming out to folks, I almost vomited before every conversation. That's not a joke. (laughs) And yet, here's my testimony of today, is that I feel more free than I ever have. Vulnerability with myself and others has led to a surge of energy and life and verve, and that's called the Holy Spirit. This freedom didn't come because I thought about it more, because I liberated myself. This freedom occurred because I encountered the living God in a powerful way, and that encounter has transformed me. Scripture says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God brings us freedom, y'all. So most folks lament that they couldn't come out about a lot of things because of God, many folks. They weren't able to be their full selves because of God. And I want to name that any version of God that does not allow us to be the beautiful people we were created to be is a false God. Because the God of the Bible, the God that we know, that God is the reason I was able to come out. God is the reason I'm able to be more fully myself. God is the reason that I've experienced a freedom that allows me to be more and more vulnerable. So what about you? What are the rooms that you refuse to let anyone into? What are the false scripts that are running your life and preventing you from being your full self? What keeps you from being vulnerable with yourself and with others and with God? The truth is, y'all, that we don't have to hide. Jesus came to, to, to break down walls and to welcome us in and to allow us to be our full selves. There's no hiding needed. Friends, though, there are a lot of smart people in this room, but I'm convinced that we can't think our way into freedom. Liberation is not an intellectual exercise, so are you ready to encounter God in a way that hits your gut and changes how you live, in a way that empowers you to be your full and true self? Pastor Rob Bell wonders if that bush that Moses saw had been burning the whole time. Moses had been tending sheep on that ground for 40 years. What if that ground had been holy the entire time, and yet it took Moses stopping long enough to pay attention to the burning bush and to hear God's voice? God is all around us, y'all. And God is waiting for us to pay attention, hoping that we will be vulnerable, telling us that we don't have to hide, and inviting us to experience life and freedom like we never have before. Will we accept that invitation? Amen.